Hi, you're listening to the Reformational Anglican Podcast, the podcast that delves into the riches of Reformational Anglicanism for the good of the church today. Uh, I'm your host, Sam Pilo. With me here is Ryan Scott, as always. And today we've got a very special guest, uh, Eleanor Brindle. Ellen, Eleanor, hello. Welcome. Hi. Nice to be with you. Eleanor, for those people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you're from, etc. I am a youth minister in Ipswich, England. Um, I grew up here and briefly uh, lived in the northwest where I went to church with Ryan um, and then came back. Brilliant. Uh, and you're... You're a Christian. Uh, tell yeah. us, tell us a little bit how, I guess, how that happened. Uh, what were the, I guess, the big, the big, the big things that God used to to draw you to Himself? Yeah, I um, I grew up going to church, uh, being taken to church by my mother. Uh, pretty, pretty ordinary. She took me to our local Anglican church, um, which is a real mixed bag. As Anglican churches go, it really had a little bit of everything. Uh, but the one wonderful thing it had was uh, lots of great liturgy. And I um, didn't learn loads while I was a teenager there, but I realised when I went to university and I was kind of learning and growing in my faith um, that everything I had learned of any worth was from from the liturgy. Um, so I don't really know a time where I didn't uh, believe in the Bible. I didn't believe the Bible was true. I didn't know Christ. I think I had a watershed moment when I was five when I realised that Jesus loves me more than my mum, and that was like inconceivable. Um, so that was a bit of a a moment, and then maybe a moment when I was eight, when I realised I had to be quite deliberate about um, following Christ. I couldn't expect that all my friends uh, were necessarily choosing to live in in ways that please God. Um, yeah, and then you just you have some big growth spurt moments through. Then there was a point at university where I suddenly realised I was deciding what I believed based on what I liked rather than what I thought the Bible actually said. Another big watershed moment. So yeah, I've just kind of kept kept learning and growing since then. Great. So it's sort of uh, a trend that's always been there, but then some key watershed moments you can look back on, um, just key reflections that are key insights um, and moments of growth. That's uh, That's really exciting. Um, so Ryan, what were you going to say? Um, yeah, so Eleanor, you uh, are very much sort of committed to being an Anglican, which is why we were interested in having you on the podcast. Uh, but you tell us a little bit about um, your work with church and what your role sort of involves. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm the youth minister of our local church. Um, so I run youth groups for the 11 to 14s and the 14 to 18s that are basically uh, youth home groups. We we chat, we have, play a game and then we do a Bible study. Um, I do one-to-ones with lots of the older kids. Uh, when it we're not in Coronatide, I was helping out at the local CUs, at the local high schools, two of the local high schools. Um, and yeah, I... I kind of walk with parents as they they disciple their kids and take them to to camps and yeah teach them the bible basically. Great, that sounds awesome. And um what sort of um in terms of some of the things that we're used to talking about in this podcast, what are some of the things that um you found really helpful um in your own faith resources I guess from historic anglicanism that you kind of like to hold on to and are quite important to you? 
Yeah, so I was I was drawn back to Anglicanism um, by falling in love with the Book of Common Prayer. I, I went to a, a church um, at university, same church that Ryan went to, that had the name Evangelical in its name, and I didn't know what that meant. So like any self-respecting student, I turned to Wikipedia and fell down the rabbit hole of the English Reformation and discovered the evangelistic strategy of the Book of Common Prayer to kind of uh, teach and liturgize and evangelize a whole nation into uh, a kind of scriptural, reformed understanding of, of the Christian faith. And it was just beautiful. And I fell in love with it. I rem- remembered all the liturgy from my youth that taught me such, um, you know, such wonderful doctrines, such beautiful doctrines that enriched my own faith. And that's been quite a significant thing uh, in my own ministry to to young people. So uh, our only Christian high school in Ipswich is in fact a Roman Catholic one. Um, so many of our people get, young people get kind of confused about the differences between Catholicism and uh, the Church of England. And so I gave them all little booklets of 39 articles and they love it because it's got all the differences for them right there. So it's it's all very very relevant for me. Nice. So you, you give the high school students, was it actually the third nine articles itself or was it kind of something you'd done? Yeah, no, the, the church society had these little booklets that they put out a couple of years back and um, and they didn't need them anymore. And so they were giving them away for free at a conference. So I took a shed load. And um, and then when my kids said they wanted to, to have, we had these sort of big termly doctrine sessions and they wanted to talk about different denominations and specifically Roman Catholicism versus the Church of England. I just gave them all a booklet, and one of them, bless her, she keeps it now beside her bed. So, um, yeah, they've got it. They love it. That's great. That's great. And um, I guess how has um, that theology that you've um, discovered within the Book of Common Prayer and the articles, how has that helped to shape and sort of fuel your uh, approach to youth ministry? Well, I think there's so much of, of youth ministry that's about assurance um it's kind of the big thing that that christians struggle with when they are teenagers um and so the covenant theology of anglicanism uh the idea that your baptism isn't actually about you it isn't actually your about uh your promises and your prayers we had a uh an adult baptism service where afterwards in in my youth group one of the kids said no, I was reading the promises again and I, I haven't kept any of them and he just looked terrified. And I was like, you know, it's, we can say then it's okay. Uh, baptism isn't about your promises. It's about God choosing you before the creation of the world. So, you know, you can keep calm and remembering remember your baptism. Um, and so, yeah, that, that gift of assurance uh, that, that covenant theology continually gives and I, I suppose particularly that, that Calvinism and the doctrines of grace gives as well is a wonderful uh, gift in, in youth ministry just for helping helping young people really grow in their faith. Um, and then, of course, once they've, they've grasped assurance, they can start to grapple with things like law and gospel, um, distinctions on what it means to, to love the Lord and rest firm on the hope of the gospel and out of that, that love um, flows forth obedience and so having had that assurance established they are then free to pursue holiness um 
yeah, without being hung up by guilt or doubt. Yeah, before um before we were starting, um, you mentioned the catechism, the way it starts just at the start with what is your name? Um and yeah, I really like that. And then also yeah, how you've tied tie that in with assurance is, is quite amazing. So yeah, it's it's such a personal way to start. What is your name? Um and then you know it's right it's right there there at the start. I'm a child of God, inheritor of the uh, kingdom of God. Um, and that was something that's given to me in baptism. It wasn't about me. It was about God declaring his promises to me. So, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And the catechism is wonderful as well because it, it gets you to memorise this kind of three central tenets. Um, we've got the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. Um, and there's some of the things I've been encouraging uh, my young people to memorise over the lockdown period. Um, and you know you do memorization and they kind of they they trip it off with with a fair few mistakes and you you wonder if it's making any difference and then um and then often it, it comes back to you months later so just this week I had uh you know I got them to memorize the tables of the law and after each one saying this is the first table of the law these teach me to love the Lord my God this is the second table of the law this teaches me how to love my neighbor um, and talking about that law and gospel distinction with one of my young people as we look at the covenants this week, said, oh, you know, I just thought of the law as, as some all this list of things that I couldn't do in order to be holy. And d- just learning that altogether made me realise that the law is how to do, is how to love God. Um, and it's a positive thing, not a negative thing. Um, so, yeah. There's, there's such wisdom in, in those three things that, that teaches so much. Yeah, I mean, certainly for myself, um, I can think about um, one of the things that really helped me early on in prayer was just the fact that, yeah, I grew up in church with using the Book of Common Prayer and I knew the Lord's Prayer and a lot of other prayers. And so that gave me like a really helpful way to actually approach God. Uh, I knew that I needed to approach him as my father. He's my creator. I've sinned against him, but he's provided redemption on the cross. Like I had like some of those basic frameworks in place and yeah, some of those basic prayers that I'd heard over and over and over again um, actually provides a framework for someone if they actually want to learn how to pray and, and start praying to God. So it's cool. Um, Eleanor, do you have any, I guess, any personal, practical, anecdotal uh, wisdom to share on how to make, uh, I guess, teaching and learning catechisms fun and memorable? <sighs> Well, um, <laughs> walked into that. So uh, at my at my church, um, we we struggled with the idea of catechisms and, and how to do it for for quite a long time. We talked about lots of different options, video series, um, and we ended up starting out with the very young children, knowing that if we got the young children on board, we would get the rest of the church on board. So we did that by creating a character called the Catechism Cat which may or may not be me in a cat costume every week, uh, teaching the kids' catechisms, that's a simplified version of the Westminster Short Catechism, to the very young children um, with actions. Um, and, yeah, that has that has worked very well. There are two-year-olds who uh, adore the cat, um, a learning catechism, and I actually even got a... Uh, a text from a diocesan member of staff uh, the other day saying that she'd used uh, stuff that she learned from the Catechism Cat in a uh, diocesan devotional meeting. So, yes. 
Cat is good. I didn't know we were going to be calling the the name of this episode um, Reformational Anglican Youth Ministry with the Catechism Cat, but there you go. Well, there you go. Now you know. Um, you've also done some thinking a little bit about um, kind of an Anglican approach to the sacraments and youth ministry. Do you want to chat just a little bit about that? Yeah, I suppose that's just that fits into um, assurance very much. So, and just thinking about uh, understanding things like the distinction between justification and sanctification is something that I think generally is massively conflated in youth ministry. I know in my own. Uh, experience of a young person, uh, my understanding of justification and sanctification was massively conflated. And so um, if I don't know if people have seen Glenn Scribner's video uh, poem, I, I gave my I gave my life to Jesus a thousand times. Teenage shrines of rare experience. I'd swear, you know, swear allegiance and, and, and do it over and over again. It comes from this confusion uh, around where justification and ends and sanctification begins. Um, so the sacraments are, are really helpful for that because we have uh, a, a sacrament that mostly speaks of our justification. Baptism happens once. Uh, it, you know, if we are baptised as infants, it does not happen uh, to our choosing. It's, it's something that happens in the past and yet we remember it um, because we're remembering, as, as we said earlier, what God has done for us. He has chosen us. He has saved us. Um, we're born again, not of our choice, but of God's power. And that's happened. That's done. And you can't lose it. Um, so one of my kids' favourite things that I've taught them about that is the whole, if someone gives you a gift, they, can't, they won't take it away from you just because you've been bad, um, because a gift is not earned, it's freely given. So they love remembering that their their baptism teaches them that they can't lose their salvation but then also you know we do things wrong in the week we sin um and we we struggle with guilt and so we have the lord's supper which is a sacrament that we do take over and over again um and it just reminds us that whatever we've done this week uh whatever our struggles with sin, whether we feel like we haven't gone anywhere, whether we feel like we're going backwards, we are children of God and we have a place at his table um, and that there is no sin we've committed so big that it is not covered by the grace and blood of Christ. And so we are received at the table as children. Our sins are covered, our place is assured um, and we can approach the throne of grace with confidence in our time of need. And so uh, I have... I have a little bookmark uh, with justification and sanctification on on different sides, um, and reminders of the sacraments that they can that the kids have coloured in at various points. And I, they've also told me they've got them in their rooms and they reference them because, again, having that distinction in their hearts and minds is is really important. You do love a good a good infogram infographic, don't you, Eleanor? Uh, do one of the guys infographic. One of the guys in college just down the hall from me has uh, pinned up on his uh, his study door the the picture that you did of um, uh, the church in the Old Testament, the church in the New Testament, the kind of visible invisible distinctions, um, yeah. which I think I'd seen on Facebook in one of the one of the groups that we uh, we overlap in, and all of a sudden it was it was pinned up on someone's door in college. It also made it into one of our lectures. 
Yeah, yeah, that was that was fun. I got an email for that. As yeah, it was definitely a, it was another covenant theology situation where I was trying to get uh, unity of of kind of the Old Testament and the New Testament into the kids' heads, and nobody else had made a good infographic. So, so I'm there making them on paint here all week. Brilliant. Eleanor, I'm struck that that all seems very rich and exciting. It, it seems like a, a heavy syllabus for youth work, I think, compared to maybe most contemporary youth work approaches, youth ministry approaches. Mm, um, yeah. Is that is that very heavy to the kids, find that very overwhelming? Or do you, do you think maybe we tend to maybe pitch youth ministry really really low in terms of what we think kids are are capable of engaging with um a bit of both i mean full disclosure i was definitely a shock to the system when i got here um and i <laughs> i think the, the kids found the first year with me quite hard work but i also think we we generally uh pitch things way too way too low for for kids um you know they're very capable of understanding these things these are things that are causing them spiritual um, anxiety. These are questions they are asking, and uh, these are things they can begin to grasp. And it, you know, some of it it does take time, and you know, lots of you know, we've done the doctrines of grace with my older ones multiple times over the last couple of years, and I think we'll keep doing it. And you know, there's lots of things it takes time um, for anyone to grow into. But um, I'm definitely a fan of of doing youth ministry. Uh, with high expectations of their ability to think, their ability to engage and answer questions. Um, and I think if you pick the right questions to ask, to engage their minds, and then suddenly it, you kind of can open a floodgate and they are fully there, ready to engage um, in, in all of these things. And it's incredibly enriching for them, but I also just think that if we're not doing that, then we're shortchanging our young people. You know, they they need all the same things that that we need as adults. They do not have a lesser faith. They do not have a shallower faith. Um, you know, our understanding of the sacraments are they're things that Jesus instituted for us because He said that we needed them. And if we do not teach our young people to understand them or why they need them, then we're saying that. We're more, Jesus said these things were important for them, but we don't think they are. And I don't think we're at liberty to do that. That's that's helpful. Uh, it also strikes me that um, I suppose that, that that approach of focusing on worship, focusing on the sacraments, it creates much more of an overlap between youth ministry and kind of the general life of the church. Uh, I think a lot of youth ministry tends to be games and uh sitting around watching a video of Rob Bell or whoever's the, the kind of the flavor of the month. Uh, and then you go to church and the church seems very different and separate. Um, it seems that you, you've you really, you, you're emphasizing and discipling them in uh, those things that are really central to, to the life of the church. Um, does that, is that intentional? Um, does, do you think that helps, I guess, transition when they, when they graduate out of youth club into I guess they're already members of the church. It's not just that you graduate of your youth club and become members of the church. Um, is that intentional? Do you find that that helps in, in terms of integrating them into uh, not just being the church of tomorrow, but the church of today, if we can use that sort of language? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's incredibly intentional because as you say, they are 
they aren't the church of tomorrow, they are the church of today. And if we if we um have not equipped them to understand what is going on in a church service and why it is happening, then we failed them because church is for them too and they need to understand what's going on. Um so when I did have a Sunday morning club for year seven to nine, uh just a model I inherited, I would take 10 minutes at the beginning of every session to explain why we were doing something that we were doing in the service. Um, and that was that was very important to me that they understood that. And then we did, we couldn't, we couldn't go away to camp this summer, obviously. Everyone had camp cancelled. Um, so I ended up doing kind of Keswick at home because the Keswick uh, convention was streamed and um, and the, the lockdown restrictions were lifted for out-of-school educational activities, which I decided that we most definitely were. Uh, and so we were able to run a kind of holiday club-style camp where they, they came in, brought in lunch boxes, and, and we watched a session, and we would play some games and discuss stuff. And I opened every day with having some of the essential elements of a, a service and saying, OK, we should start with a confession. What do we need to say in the confession? Um, we need to have an absolution. This is what an absolution is. Why do we need it? What what should it say? Um, I think we should say the Apostles' Creed. I think we should say a psalm. You get to pick which psalm every day. And we sort of just built up the elements of the service and talked about why they were over there. And, and some of it I wrote and some of them I got them to contribute more to. But I think, um, yeah, churches for young people, church, you know, the Bible expects children to be in church, it addresses them at various points. It kind of expects them to be there. And so if we haven't equipped them uh, to be in a church service, then again, we're saying we we don't think they need something that Jesus says they, they do need and can, can manage and are capable of. Um, so whenever we read uh, the Bible in terms of what it says about uh, young people who are growing up within uh, the people of God, there's always a big emphasis on the role of parents uh, and the role of fathers in teaching the Bible to their children. Um, and I can think of some great models that I've seen of, of that sort of uh, intentional kind of mothers and fathers really uh, trying to make sure they read the Bible with their children. But I guess in your role, how do you sort of see uh, the intersection of those two things? So how do you see, I guess, your role and how that um, comes alongside the role of parents in bringing up uh, Christian yeah. children? No, it's a good point. And the, the job title youth minister is is not a biblical one. It isn't something that appears in the Bible. We do have um, things in the Church of England. We have godparents uh, who stand up with parents at a baptism and commit to um, bring up a child in the way of the Lord. Um, and then actually we do see in the, the Old Testament a bit, if you look at Deuteronomy and um, the the commands to kind of include children in festivals and things and bringing up children in their knowledge of the works of God is a communal activity. You know, it is primarily the response of parents, but it is something that you're kind of expecting to be happening in the context of community. So as a youth minister, I do see myself a little bit as a full-time paid godparent to the young people of our church. Yes, I cannot do the main job of discipling them that is their parents. They will see me for what, two hours, three hours a week, absolute maximum. Um, you know, I can't, I can't do that job for them. Um, but I can definitely help. I can be 
uh, a church adult who is invested in them, who cares about their life and who is teaching them who isn't mum and dad. Um, and just a kind of, it's a more formalised extension of the wider church family, uh, in re- particularly in relation to the young people. But it's, as kind of Sam was saying, you don't want to have a youth ministry that's totally separate um, to the rest of the church. It's just within part of the church. Um, and so, yes, that's how I, how I see that role. Yeah, I think that's really helpful, um, setting it in terms of the wider the role and the responsibility, I guess, of the wider church family. I also think it's a really difficult balance, isn't it? Because there is always that temptation to kind of outsource um, the teaching of of the faith to kind of others away from parents. Um, and I can think of some really, I mean, there's we have a lecturer here at college and they have um, quite a few children and, you know, they, they basically get up in the morning um, and they, they get their different kids up at different times and they read through the Bible with each one of them. Uh, before breakfast and then they come together at breakfast and say uh, i think they say the morning prayer together and so really an extraordinary example but that's the sort of thing that we should be trying to um pass on to as many parents as possible but then i guess the other side of it is that community responsibility and one of the interesting things if you look at the stats in terms of what is it that correlates with youth keeping going as christians into adulthood and into as they go to university and beyond one of the main things that correlates with that is actually the number of significant relationships they have with adults who are authentic followers of Jesus. And if, if that has been expanded out um, and they have you know several different kind of testimonies from different people um, to authentic sort of faith in Christ, then that's one of the things that will really spur them on, keep them going in the faith. Yeah. And it's I think it's, it's worth remembering as well, you know, we we want to encourage parents to really high levels of discipleship and and the example of the lecture is is wonderful but it's something so many uh parents find hard and i think you know um conservative evangelicalism and that kind of branch of you know reformational anglicanism has probably historically been stronger uh on this but that that isn't actually uh the tradition in which my church has been um and across the wider church of england i think there has been an intergenerational failure of discipleship failure um to kind of provide any strong teaching uh or to you know actively disciple and so sometimes we might have situations where we want to encourage parents to be the main disciples and parents haven't been discipled and don't know what they're doing and so need a lot of support and so i think you know the other real benefit of youth ministry is is that you can also be there helping train the parents and kind of really you know you might be doing some heavy lifting support work in the discipleship of their kids if they don't know what they're doing and um, and that that is you know that's not ideal over uh, that is kind of the realistic situation i think we don't want the kids to get left behind because the the parents haven't been discipled properly and so uh, a really good ministry needs to be making sure that not only are the the young people being discipled but their parents are being discipled too and being trained in and helped as much as possible in the discipleship of their children because it is it is a very hard task um so many people you know may struggle even to read the bible by themselves uh, let alone with their kids as, as your lecturer does and um, so one of the little things i do do is i 
send out an email every Sunday after church called Sunday Lunch Discussion Points, where I basically write out a list of four kind of different thoughts and questions bouncing off the sermon and um, that hopefully are enabling families to talk about the sermon with their young people around the lunch table at home. And just every little thing like that, that, that youth ministers or or whoever's supporting families in church can can do to help, I think is is just so crucial and so needed. That's really good. Uh, I've heard you say as well that sometimes you'll meet up with youth one to one to read the Bible together, um, yes. which I think is a really really good practice. And um, one other thing I wanted to just touch on is sometimes within youth ministry there can be this tension between uh, whether or not the focus should be on. Uh, those who are kind of growing up within the church community um, or kind of it, whether or not it should be, you know, the main focus should be more evangelistic. Um, it should, we should put on an event in order to get people from outside the church to come. Um, so tell us your thoughts about that. And then maybe you could springboard from that and then also tell us a little bit about your thoughts on how being in the Church of England gives us um, a lot of those connections with those outside the church. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So when I, I came to my current job, I inherited, I think, maybe a 20-year-old youth club. Um, you know, it was definitely running before I was born. Um, and it had games. We have an ancient PlayStation Xbox somewhere in a box that I really need to take to the tip. Um, and, you know, we have a very traditional... Uh, tuck shop with all these old-fashioned sweets we've got chocolate mice and strawberry pencils and um and then the idea is there'd be this evangelistic talk and I think in years gone by certainly 10 20 years well 20 15 years ago uh, they were getting upwards of 50 60 kids at this youth club it was the only place to go on a Friday night in the whole of East Ipswich so it was where the whole of East Ipswich came um and in the last two years, that club has had an average attendance of eight. And 80% of that are either our church kids or kids from other churches. And only a very small percentage of that are unchurched kids. Um, so as an evangelistic strategy, I don't think it's working anymore. I don't think it's uh, actually working at all and to be honest I don't think I'm the best equipped person to evangelize these young people um they don't know me from Adam if they come to that club uh they will know their friends who have brought them and actually the best people to evangelize them are their friends that have brought them so I really do believe that if we focus strongly on the discipleship of our young people in our churches then we will equip them to be the evangelizers of their peers um and that 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 is the most effective way of of reaching young people and evangelizing them. I don't think it's uh, the only way. Um, so one of the privileges you get at being in a Church of England church um, is the community links. Uh, so we are in a big suburban parish. We have three primary schools, two high schools, a hospital, um, and up until coronavirus, I was involved in both of those high schools. I was going in and supporting the Christian unions. Now, when I was a teenager uh, in school, Christian unions were kind of the hideout of the Christians. And that just doesn't seem to be the case uh, these days. Now, it is a mixture of, of kids from various churches throughout Ipswich and their friends 
who are not Christian and each of these. And so actually these were kind of wonderful, um, apologetic, evangelistic mini communities happening in schools um, where you sort of go in and they would pick topics like uh, I had some quite dark teenagers they used to pick nihilism and and various other quite dark things but you you pick a topic and then we we I find a video about it and we talk about it a bit and I say okay this is what the bible has got to say about this and I would you know give a five minute powerpoint presentation on what the bible is saying and and you know that that I think was a place where we had loads of amazing conversations um had you know going in and just talking as as the local christian in re lessons uh i talked a lot about sin and hell i was meant to be talking about faith and communities one lesson all the kids wanted to ask me about was the end of the world and hell and which just meant that i got to explain the gospel four times in a class and and these opportunities uh are definitely partly down to to being a church of england church your trusted presence in the community um We've been there in our church for a mere 200 years because we're an Industrial Revolution Victorian church, but it's you've got that um, established community trust and that that is a, a wonderful thing um, and a wonderful thing if you can build relationships with, with teachers and pupils that way. And I think that's probably the, the chief way that um, youth ministers can be involved in evangelism at this time. That's brilliant. Um, it, it, I think it is sometimes the case that some of these youth clubs that kind of focus, um, you know, mainly on those outside the church, yeah, can be to the detriment of those inside the church. I remember reading an article um, a little while ago that talked about how if we could even, this was in the United States, but if they could even slow the rate at which youth were falling away from the church um, back to the way it was a generation ago, then that would be the largest revival that America's ever seen. Um, so larger than wow. the Billy Graham Crusades or kind of under Jonathan Edwards or whatever. Um, so, I, I mean, this is our, you know, if you, if you can't hold on to your base, you know, that the, the children that are growing up within the covenant community, um, then the likelihood of our, us actually successfully reaching out to those beyond is, is quite low. But yeah, it's really helpful what you're sharing as well about those relationships with, um, uh, with the schools. And it sounds like you're doing just amazing work. So, yeah, thank you. Great. Well, maybe maybe draw stumps there if that's about the length of a a, a long episode for us. Um, Eleanor, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, that's been really helpful to um, to hear uh, some of your stories, some of your insights into into gospel work with young people. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was good to come. Well, why don't I pray as we close then? And this is a prayer that's taken from the end of the confirmation service um, of the Book of Common Prayer. O God, whose blessed Son was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil and make us sons of God and heirs of eternal life, grant us, we beseech thee, that having this hope, we may purify ourselves even as he is pure, and that when he shall appear again with power and great glory, we may be like unto him in his eternal and glorious kingdom, where with thee, O Father, and with thee, O Holy Ghost, he liveth and reigneth ever one God, world without end. Amen. Amen.